LifeSpring number 208, the fifth quarter, part two. You've got a project coming up. You need a voice. You need someone to be the voice of your business, your club, your church, your organization. Steve Webb is that voice. Log on to theguywiththefriendlyvoice.com. You'll find quality professional voiceover, great service, and that distinctive voice you've been looking for. Studio at theguywiththefriendlyvoice.com. You think that was just a little bit over the top? <laughs> oh, well, you know, you got to have some fun. Hey, welcome to the award-winning LifeSpring Show. So good to have you with me today. What you may be asking is LifeSpring. Well, Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your age, your sex, or your station in life. Jesus said this, who do you say that I am? LifeSpring is about answering that question and the question of how and why the answer can and does affect your life this very day. What do you find here? Well, you'll find music, conversation, and reasons to believe. Today, we'll hear part two of my interview with Stephen and Mariana Boddy parents of a whole family of great kids, one of whom, Luke, was tragically killed in an automobile accident in February of 2006. A movie's been made about the accident and how the Abadi family has coped with the loss and how God has used it to bring some amazing blessing into the lives of others. That movie is The Fifth Quarter and it may be in a theater near you or hopefully it will be. Right now I'm going to play for you the theme song of the movie, and it was written and performed by Stacy Earle, who played Mariana Body's sister in the movie, and is the wife of Rick Bieber, who wrote, directed, and produced the movie. I had the pleasure of meeting Stacy and Rick just this past Friday right here in Riverside at the Riverside International Film Festival, where the fifth quarter was screened on the opening night of the festival for a distinguished VIP audience. The name of the song is Live and Breathe.
Part one, we learned a little bit about the Abate family and their family dynamic. We learned what kind of boy Luke was and how each parent coped with the loss of their youngest child. We wrapped up with Marianne Abate saying that as human parents, they will never be able to completely understand why God allowed this to happen until they see him in heaven. But I kind of hang my hat that God's going to redeem this in yeah. some way. You know, some of it will see on earth, but the full redemption will come in heaven. Yeah, that's very well put. I agree with that 100%. There's a scene in the movie, Stephen, where you go into the hallway outside of Luke's hospital room, and you see the hallway just lined with his friends and teachers and dozens of what I assume were family and friends. How did it feel to have the community support and have them just love you through this? How important was that to you? Well, it was uh, of utmost importance. I mean, really, during those uh, you know, short 48 hours, if it wasn't for our friends and families, I don't know how we would have really hung in there. And in that particular scene, it was the next day, and you know, we were all in Luke's hostel room, and I decided I needed to walk out to get some water or drink for everybody. And I was amazed when I turned down the hallway and saw what was literally hundreds of family, friends, teachers, um, teammates just lying down the hall, all just there waiting to hear about what was going on with Luke. And, uh, you know, it just really helped me get through those hours. When I went back into the room, shortly thereafter is when the doctor came in and said, um, you know, there's been no blood activity to Luke's brain and he's just not coming back. Right and uh, we would need to make some tough decisions. It was then that I went back out to those same people uh, in that hallway to have to say to them that, um, you know, Luke was not coming back Mm. and that it was our desire for them, if they so choose, to be able to say goodbye to Luke while he was still alive. And, um, you know, we spent hours of, you know, two-by-two people coming into his intensive care room And that was a great sacrifice for the hospital because, you know, Atlanta Medical Center is a major trauma where, uh, you know, Luke wasn't the only only patient on that floor. And, um, you know, they did make an exception to allow literally hundreds of people two at a time to uh, come see Luke and and, uh, let them say goodbye to him. That must have been an excruciating time for you. It was. It was. It was... uh, you know, we sat in his room as they came in, and, uh, you know, it was just hard to see the people who were there and to think of the memories and all the good times, uh, you know, over the years. But it was, you know, I wanted it to be our gift to them because they loved Luke and they were uh, his his friends and his teachers and coaches, and I just thought they deserved the same right if they wanted it to be able to see him one last time. Mm-hmm. What a what a wonderful giving thing that was for you and Marianne to do that for those people. Well, we just felt like it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And the movie really shows that uh, in a great way. I mean, you've seen the movie. What others see it, it's, it's about 99% true what you see on the screen really happened. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. I read that somewhere, that they tried very hard to be as accurate as possible. So, yeah. And they were. Yeah. yeah. That was one of our uh, you know, first arrangements or agreements with Rick is that uh, you know, we'd give him the, you know, all the leeway and opportunity to talk with all of us and the coaches and friends and to come back with a script that we would read. And if we, we thought it was accurate, we would go forward. If we didn't think it would, you know, represented the story well, we would kind of end it. Right. And uh, he got it right on. There was very few things that we had to really correct or change. Well, that's awesome. Well, so yeah, that, he did a great job. That begs the question then. There's a scene in the movie, Marianne, where uh, a neighbor comes over and asks you how you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Is, how accurate was that scene? I have to tell you, I laughed at that. <laughs> well, don't let her fool you. It was pretty accurate. <laughs> You know, I just, I, I think I was just having a bad day and um, just, you know, unfortunately, you know, when you're grieving, sometimes you are probably um, less gracious because I'd like to think I'm a gracious person <laughs> on most occasions, but I just didn't want to hear about my grass and, yeah. you know, did the boys help you? It was just sort of rubbed me in a really wrong way. So anyway, but I, I think the movie so, tamed down that scene just a little, right, Marianne? Well, yeah, probably, <laughs> yes. And sometimes it's embarrassing to me to be so honest about how we reacted, you know, especially as Christians, you know, but I feel like authenticity helps other people, you Absolutely. know. And I think that we need to be honest about our struggles, you know, first of all, if we're not, then we don't. Then God, we don't get to show where God has taken us from and rescued us from. And sometimes I feel real worried about putting that out there because you know the whole idea of being judged. But at the same time, you know, I was in. We were in the darkest, deepest, hardest place of our life, and you know, I want to be real because somebody out there is struggling too, and hopefully, you know, maybe that will help them. I think if we're honest with our struggles, I think we help each other more. So, yes. Well, I absolutely agree, and I that's why I laughed, because it, it did show your humanity in a way that people can relate to. I mean, yes. my goodness, everybody has times like that. Yeah, and, I'm very human. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when we look at, at uh, the Word of God, all the people that are in there, they have their human points. And there, there are times where, you know, they're at our absolute worst. And uh, so, you know, golly, if that's the worst you've ever been, I think you're in pretty good shape. <laughs> well, you're kind to say that. <laughs> so you talked about the gift of life. How did that whole thing come about in, in the hospital? It, it showed that the the nurse or, or the person that worked in, in that department came to you when the people were visiting. Is that how it happened? And, and uh, just tell me about that whole decision. Well, um, there was a representative from the hospital that came to us you know, with the, with all the mayhem going on. And, you know, Steve was so good about going out to speak to everybody in the community. I couldn't do that. So, you know, the hospital approached me because I wasn't out there talking to all the, you know, family and friends and, you know, people who had come to visit about the possibility of organ donation. And also because Luke was a B-negative, a rare blood type, 
and, you know, we just kind of talked about it. And then we gathered everybody to talk about that, you know, and the boys struggled with that because, you know, they were coming from an incredible place of pain and the thought of cutting their brother open and taking his organs. But in the end, when we sat down and, and grappled with it and, you know, I reminded everybody when I took Luke to get his learner's permit that he, you know, when I explained it to him, you know, it's very just matter of fact about it because I didn't want to make him feel bad or guilty. I, you know, he was young and you need to make that decision on your own that he really wanted to donate. Did he really think that, you know, as Steve said, that that was going to be an imminent thing? Probably not. But he was a generous soul. I think bottom line is we decided that he was a good, generous soul and he always liked to help his friends and that this seemed like the right thing. And, you know, he had very healthy organs. He was very fortunate that he was a healthy person and he was an athlete and he took care of himself that um, this seemed like the right decision to make. So that's kind of how we came about that. Okay. So we know from the movie that his heart went to someone. Uh, What were the other four organ donations that took place? Well, we haven't met them, but um, one of his lungs went to a a woman in Tampa. Um, Both of his kidneys um, were harvested, and they're here in Atlanta, somebody in Atlanta, And also, actually, it was six organs, his pancreas um, and his liver, and one of the recipients got both. Oh, I see. So one of the recipients, I believe, got his liver and one of his kidneys. So there were five recipients, and there were six organs. So. And they're all in Atlanta. The rest of them are in Atlanta. And the young woman who has Luke's heart is actually in Maryland. And she's, you know, was 19 when she received Luke's heart. She had cardiomyopathy, which is, you know, a condition where, you know, your heart no longer functions well. And it is a rare condition, but sometimes um, pregnant women can develop that. And so she had delivered her second child in November of 2005, she had had her first daughter in um, February of 2005. So her children were, you know, basically nine, ten months apart. So she was put on the East Coast recipient list on New Year's Eve of 2005, and she was at risk of dying and leaving these two young newborn baby and an almost one-year-old. Hmm. So she received Luke's heart. Um, she went into surgery of course, on the evening of February 15th, and she came out of surgery with a new heart on her daughter's first birthday. Oh, so that's, wow. pretty, that's pretty profound to me. Boy, it is. Yeah, and what Marion didn't really say was that she went in the hospital that New Year's Eve of 2005 and did not come out. I mean, she was, um, you know, prior to receiving Luke's heart, she was uh, pretty much in her last days. Uh-huh. She was the same, you know, rare blood type as, as Luke was, which, you know, are hard to find recipients like that and, uh, or donors, I should say, right. like that. So, uh, we had the chance, uh, after what, four years, Marianne, of, uh, going through yeah. all the process and legal and HIPAA rules. Uh, we had the opportunity, uh, we were so grateful to be able to go to the Baltimore, Maryland area, last Easter and, and meet Casey for a few hours there. And that was a wonderful experience and something that I have always, uh, you know, had always dreamed about in those four years and even talked about on one of the ESPN or Fox specials that, 
you know, I just wanted to be able to hear and feel, you know, Luke's heartbeat. Yes. And, uh, you know, she gave us both the opportunity to do that. And, uh, it was beating strong and loud and it was a, a wonderful experience to be able to, you know, feel his heartbeat here on earth. Yes. We know his spirits all around us and with us every day, but, you know, that was his heart beating within her and uh, a very, very, very grateful experience. That must have been a powerful experience. I mean, I seeing that scene in the movie, I, I mean, it. I cried most of the movie anyway, but that scene there, I mean, it just tore my heart out. It was yeah. just yeah. so wonderful. It was, uh, you know, it's. I think when, when Rick talked to us and when he was interviewing us and he had learned that from me, he said he knew that was the place he was going to start writing the script was the end, the end scene oh. and build from it because he knew immediately that's where the movie had to end. And, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful, uh, closing of the story. Mm-hmm. And at the point that we filmed and it was written, that had not happened. It was just more of a dream. But uh, now that the movie is out, um, you know, we can say it, it's reality and it really did happen. Yeah, and uh, yeah, wonderful it's, experience. It's done a lot for Casey, the recipient of Luke's heart. It's given so much meaning to her life and her story. You know, she came to one of the premieres in Winston Salem, and she's followed. You know, the whole thing with the fifth quarter. Actually, I saw a picture. She lives in Baltimore, and she um, went to Fredericksburg to see the movie, and and I think she brought some friends. So, you know, it validates all of the struggles she went through, too. As a young mother, oh, my goodness, which should be a happy time in your life, here you are. You develop this heart condition that's going to potentially claim your life and right. to leave two children behind. I feel like it's, it's, it's done a lot to, for her life as well. well. Yeah, and we were grateful when we only had two hours with her the very first time, and when we were all at the Winston-Salem premiere, you know, we got to spend the whole day with her and really get to know her better. And, uh, you know, that was a wonderful opportunity as well. And and we've all stayed, you know, close through the months. And, you know, Marianne and her and I are Facebook friends and, (laughs) you know, share moments. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's very nice. We look forward to having the same opportunity with the other, you know, four recipients. We're still working through that process. And, you know, they may not want to know us, which is fine. But we're still reaching out. <laughs> I don't know how the, how that works. Do the recipients know who the donor is? They don't. Uh, okay. Casey, all she knew that it was a uh, a young boy, a teenager who uh, was in a, a car accident, and I believe she knew you know what part of the country that he was from Georgia. But uh, it's against uh, the HIPAA organ donating you know rules that. Uh, you know, it's anonymous. Um, the gift of life is anonymous, and the person who receives it, uh, you know, they don't get to know who it came from. Okay. Funny enough, she had told us the first time we met her that she had been looking for us, you know, searching on the Internet and looking at newspaper articles to try to find out who who Luke was. Interesting. So, yeah, it's a process, and, you know, for, for the right reasons. I mean, you know, no one knows how uh, the donor family or the recipient will respond when right. they meet each other. And sure. it has to be, uh, you know, both have to be willing parties and has to be in writing. And, uh, and really, at our first meeting, there were people with us, you know, social workers and, and folks from uh, the organ donating uh, organization, just to make sure that, you know, everything went well. Yeah. All right. So 
The title of the movie is The Fifth Quarter. So talk about that. We haven't even really hardly touched on that at all. So talk about The Fifth Quarter. What's the significance of that? Well, I'll start with that one, and I'll let Marion add to it. Okay. Um, at Luke's funeral, one of uh, the pastors, Ike Reichert, who was uh, uh, Luke's um, football high school field chaplain, uh, spoke at the funeral, and he said, uh, in order to honor Luke, that we should all raise our hands five fingers high at the beginning of the fourth quarter of the high school games to honor Luke uh, and retire his his number five jersey, his, his favorite number. And, um, you know, all through you know Luke's high school and, and John playing college, John and Luke used to argue about, uh, you know, the number five, and John was number 40. Uh, he was a middle linebacker at Wake, and, and Luke was a, a middle linebacker, and you know, John used to always tease him that it was a pretty boy number. He really needed to get a real, you know, <laughs> linebacker number of 40. So, you know, when we heard that, uh, you know, I, I think a few weeks later, you know, we all thought about that. Gosh, how wonderful uh, that they were going to do that in the high school. And uh, as as time progressed and John was uh, going back into spring football, he really had decided that, that he couldn't play any longer, that his uh, – the death of Luke had just taken that zest away from him. And as we talked to him and, and others, you know, we, we said, what a wonderful way to honor your brother by playing uh, and doing your best. And so he decided that he would go back and play, but um, the only way he would do it is if uh, Coach Grobe, the head coach of Wake Forest and the ACC, allowed him to you know, change his number from 40 to number 5 as a way for him to honor his brother. And in his mind, he was really playing for two. And, you know, looking back, the number 5 you know, has played a significant role in all of this. We didn't realize that for four years we sat in Section 5, Row 1, hmm. and watched John play football. And at that very first home game, uh, we decided that our family, myself, Marianne, Adam, and Rachel, uh, and John would raise our fingers to each other as a way to honor Luke, um, you know, at the very first home game. Uh-huh. And it really took on a life of its own. The next game, the whole team and the stands did it. And by the third or fourth game, it made national attention, USA Today. And um, that season, Wake was picked to come in last place in the ACC, uh, you know, against Miami and Florida State and Boston College and Maryland. And uh, it seemed that we went through the season going into the fourth quarter losing, and, you know, the team would uh, all raise their fingers, honor Luke, and they would win in the fourth (laughs) quarter. So, uh, you know, it became known as their secret weapon, you know, the fifth quarter. And, and not to take anything away from the boys who uh, played their hearts out. It was just, uh, you know, they were honoring Luke, and it was it was kind of one of these mystery things. I, we really felt like Luke was there, you know, with John and with us. So that's really how the fifth quarter, you know, began with, with Ike uh, at, at Luke's funeral and how it kind of took on a life of its own. Um, you know, when you think back, Wake Forest – went to the ACC championship game, should have never been there, and won against Georgia Tech uh, for a total score of 15. So the five has just been dominant. You know, five people received Luke's organs. He died on February the 15th. It took five years for the movie to come out. It was released on March 25th. You know, there's five people left in our family. Um, So, you know, it's one of those mysteries that, and maybe it's a, you know, a way for God to say, I'm in control. I, I had this from the very beginning. Um, but it's certainly, uh, 
you know, bit of valued part of our experience as we go through the process. Yes. Plus Very... five stands for grace. I'm saying number... The number five is the, is the number for grace. And so I uh... feel like grace is just so interwoven in the story. Hmm. Yeah, our pastor told us that a few weeks ago. We had a uh, private showing of the movie for a lot of the Atlanta pastors, and uh, he had texted me just before, the day before, and said, you know, his wife was was uh, reminding him that the number five in the Bible means grace. And, I, uh, I'm going to have to research that. I did not know that. That sounds like yeah. that would be a fun study. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> yeah. You can tell me if, if he was just uh, telling me something I wanted to hear, if it's correct. <laughs> I'll call you and let you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So this happened in 2005. A lot of times when a family goes through something as traumatic as this, they can't keep things together. The husband and the wife relationship suffers and the family ends up in divorce. How did this affect your marriage? Was there a time where you felt like you just wanted to crawl into your own separate caves to deal with the grief or did it draw you together? You're together now, so obviously you didn't end up in divorce, but what did it do to your family dynamic when you were going through the midst of it? So in the third and final episode in this series of shows with the Abadis, you'll learn the answer to that, and the Abadis will talk about their hopes for what the fifth quarter will accomplish. You won't want to miss that show. If you're not subscribed to this The LifeSpring podcast, I encourage you to do so. It's free, and if you have iTunes, the easiest way to subscribe is through the iTunes podcast directory. But there are a lot of ways to subscribe. Once you do that, you'll be assured of receiving that next episode automatically. Here's another song from the Fifth Quarter soundtrack. It's a band called Black Mercies, and the title is Less Than Zero. I've got just a couple of things to share with you on the other side, so in the meantime, enjoy this. Lonely hours Swimming through the dark No satellite to guide me No, no, no other star Just my own motivation to
comments, write to me at steve at lifespringmedia.com. Leave a review at the iTunes podcast directory. Just search for Lifespring or leave a comment on the show notes page at lifespringpodcast.com. Music on today's show was Stacy Earle with Live and Breathe and Black Mercies with Less Than Zero. Links to the music will be on the show notes page at lifespringpodcast.com. Don't forget that you can rent my voice for your business, church, website, podcast, video, or even your answering machine. Write to me at studio at theguywiththefriendlyvoice.com. Oh, and you can hear my demos at theguywiththefriendlyvoice.com as well. Until next time, thanks for sharing your day with me. May God bless you richly. I'm Steve Webb.